Amen. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Amen. You'll have to forgive me tonight. My voice is just barely holding on. You can sit down. We just had phenomenal, good old apostolic church on Sunday. And then uh, we left Minnesota weather and came to whatever you call this. <laughs> it's not winter, but it's something. And uh, I just think my voice is... Uh, not had a full chance to recover. I am going to go to the word of the Lord, uh, and I'll, I'll be mindful of the time. I do want to teach a little bit tonight. Is that all right? I'll teach a little bit tonight. I don't think I could really preach if, even if I wanted to, but the, the Lord must have known that because I did want to preach. I always like to preach. This is a great place to preach, uh, but uh, it's also a great place to teach. And, uh, you know, more and more, uh, I'm, I'm wanting to empower uh, apostolics uh, with the word so that they can reach their world. Uh, I just feel stronger and stronger as time goes by that we need an understanding of the word of God if we're going to make an effective difference in our world. And uh, we'll see how many, I have a lot of scriptures tonight, but we'll see how many we get to. Uh, I did notice that in our pre-service prayer points, uh, you, you had prayer for a greater desire to, to know the Lord. That's a powerful thing. And how many know the, one of the greatest ways to know the Lord is to know his word? Amen. And also it was a greater boldness to speak his word to the lost. And there's a, there's a phrase uh, that uh, has been around for a very long time, that knowledge is power. And so if you want boldness to speak to people about the Lord, uh, knowledge brings that boldness. Amen? When you know what you're talking about, you feel more confident to talk about it. Now, I want to I talk tonight a little bit um, because there's a, there's a very prevalent and pervasive uh, position in our society today of many, many churches uh, of all types of denominations. And it is this idea uh, that, that uh, a person cannot fall from grace. Uh, that maybe it's once saved, always saved. Uh, maybe they use what they would consider more modern, updated terminology. Uh, but the idea is the same. It's basically that because of the grace of God, uh, that we are, we're all just, we're covered. You know, and there's a few things that we have to maybe do. And those few things keep getting less and less, don't they? <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the requirements of the denominal church world can keep less and less and less. This, by the way, is going to become one of the major separating factors of the apostolic church in the end times. Uh, because even the church world is going to begin to turn itself against those who would hold a high biblical standard. And it's going to be important to withstand in these days that we do have a high biblical standard, and that's based upon uh, knowledge. It's really difficult for anyone who legitimately cares about the, the Bible to un, and understands the Bible at all to believe uh, that a person that has an encounter with God one time in their life uh, or uh, says a, a, a prayer of some sort or crosses a faith line or raises their hand in a service and says that they accept the Lord, 
uh, is covered for the rest of their days. Anyone who really understands or reads, you don't really even have to have an in-depth understanding of Scripture. Um, but people look for justification or like they like the idea of it. And so it's one of the reasons why it is so prevalent in society today. Um, but how many know uh, John chapter 8 tells us, starting 1 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, if ye continue, somebody say continue, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And then there's a somewhat famous verse that says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. So there's an idea of continuing with the Lord, not just encountering the Lord, but encountering him and then continuing. And there's an understanding of knowing the truth, not just being around the truth, not just going to a church that says that they preach or teach the truth, but personally knowing the truth ourselves is what makes us free. That's what makes me free, not, not, not the church I attend, not the denomination I, I proclaim, but it is the truth that I know that makes me free. And that's important because I'm not always in the church, am I? I'm not always at church, and I need to make sure that I know and feel free even when I'm not in the house of God. Amen. And so the Jews that were present that day in John 8, uh, the Jews uh, respond to this direction of deity with an exaggerated sense of their own importance. When we look at verse 33 of the 8th chapter of John, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. This is their response to him when he says that they could be made free. So how sayest thou, they question Jesus, ye shall be made free. What are you talking to us about freedom for? We've never been in bondage to anyone. They believed themselves to be above the idea of bondage. Better then the possibility of bondage, which means to be enslaved, to be in service to. That's what that specific word there in John means. And this, of course, is a little bit uh, ludicrous, even on the surface, because they, had, they knew their own history. Uh, they could not deny, the Jewish people could not deny that the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Syrians and the Romans had all conquered them and that they had been under uh, these authorities and powers at some point in their life, at least in their family life or family history. And so they were either referring to the civil liberty, which they had long enjoyed, or they meant that they had never recognized their conquerors or accepted their dominion, whatever it was that they were viewing it. But there was a serious misunderstanding in their carnal tone. They seemed uh, unable to understand or recognize what Jesus was really getting at. And Jesus wasn't really getting at the fact that they had indeed been uh, uh, enslaved to a higher authority earthly authority before but he was talking about the bondage of the soul he was talking about the bondage of the soul of the of the inward man you see true freedom involves a freedom of my soul amen a man may be physically free without being free indeed 
Amen. A man may be socially free without being free indeed. He may be in the full enjoyment of, of social and, and, and political privileges and yet still be very much a, a captive. A, a person may be mentally free without being free indeed. The intellect may be sound and, and grasping and their mental vision may be clear and far-reaching and they still be a prisoner in their soul. Oh, I don't, I, I don't want to be a prisoner on the inside. Oh, hallelujah. Apostolics have to have a, a, we have to be representatives of a real freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. A real freedom that says it really doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. I, I'm free in my soul. Oh, Hallelujah. True freedom involves that of the soul. The soul is the highest part of man. The highest nature must be free then if I'm going to be free indeed. My highest nature must be free. Amen. They saw themselves as free because they didn't think any man had authority over them. But they were neglecting the inward man. Therefore, Jesus clarifies that this is a spiritual matter. Amen. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Amen. So true freedom involves that of the soul from sin. Amen. Sin makes the soul captive. Amen. Captive to the, to the divine law. Sin is a transgression of divine law and must be punished. The wages of sin, Romans 6, 23, is death. That's inescapable. You can't just act like that doesn't exist. We can't just act like that verse isn't real. Sin makes the soul captive to itself. Look at 1 John 3 and 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So I cannot be free. Sin enslaves the soul. It, it, it dims my spiritual vision so I cannot see the invisible or, or the eternal. It spoils and impairs spiritual taste. I cannot relish the spiritual food of God, the bread of life. I can't, I can't catch everything that God is trying to put into me. It cramps and destroys spiritual aspirations. And my capacity as a person of God, it, it destroys that. It's like a bird with its wings being clipped. It excludes or prevents the soul from its spiritual rights and its privileges, the peace and friendship of God. All of this, all of this is influenced negatively by the sin that I might have in my life. And so then Jesus illustratively makes a point in the 35th verse of this 8th chapter of John. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Now they understood what he was talking about. They understood the outcomes of Isaac and Ishmael. The difference between Isaac born of Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Ishmael born of Sarah's servant, Hagar. Isaac was able to stay with the family. But when Isaac was born, Hagar and Ishmael were sent away because they were not the son. Amen. Jesus says, the servant abideth not in the house 
forever. But the Son abideth forever. But then Jesus follows it up with the one exception to this. When he says, but if the Son, therefore, make you free, then you will be free indeed. Amen. Even if you were a servant and not a son, if the Son makes you free. Oh, hallelujah. It doesn't matter how you came into the picture if the Son makes you free. It doesn't matter who your daddy or your mama was if the Son makes you free. It doesn't matter your family tree or your lineage. If the Son makes you free, you will be free. Indeed. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. You will be. You will be free indeed. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. If the Son therefore. So I'm thankful for that tonight. Amen. That grace of Calvary. That amazing grace. I'm very thankful for that tonight. But to say that one cannot fall from grace cheapens what Calvary did. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God. And here's some key words. In vain. Receive not the grace of God in vain. The scripture would never need. This is what we need to think about when we're talking and we're, 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 we're thinking about this, this idea of once saved, always saved. or There's no ability to fall from grace. That scripture, 2 Corinthians 6.1, would never need to be written if nobody could fall from grace. The only way we could receive the grace of God in vain is if after I receive it, then I was to fall from grace and be lost. That's the only way that that could even happen. If it were impossible for a person to receive the grace of God and, and still be lost, then there is no way that the work done to bring a person into grace could ever be done in vain. The effort that was made, how could the effort that you make to reach somebody with the gospel and that person responds to the gospel, how could that effort have ever been done in vain unless that person responds to the gospel? And grace, but then falls away. Paul writes to the Galatians who he says began, everybody say began. He says they began their Christian lives in the spirit. Galatians 3 and 3, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? He goes on to say in verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 11, I am afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Amen. So they had turned from Paul's teaching and they had sought once again to be justified by the works of the law. They were going back, some of them, to the works of the law, even after the apostle Paul had taught them about the works of grace. But they were going back to the works of the law. They went backwards from what they received in the spirit. Amen. Paul also says to the Thessalonica church, 1 Thessalonians 3 and 5, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. These were the same believers. This was the same church 
These were the same church folk, the same apostolic believers. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 6, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. That's how you started. That's how you started. That's how you got this thing. You got this from the Lord himself. You got this in the spirit. You got this in the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, 5 to 6. But in verse 3, he says, I could no longer forbear. I had to know where your faith was because I was worried some tempter has tempted you and all the work that was done was done in vain. Amen. These believers in Galatia and in Thessalonica had been converted. No one would deny that they had been saved by grace. Nobody would deny that. The grace of God had come into their lives, and they had, they had encountered the gospel. It had been preached unto them and taught unto them, and they had, they, had, they had received it and responded to it, and the grace of God saved them. Nobody would deny that they had been saved by grace. But how then could Paul's work in leading them to Christ be then in vain? Only if they once believed, had been saved, and then had walked away. And we're now lost. That's the only way. Paul says it very clearly in Galatians 5 and 4. And it's a devastating verse of scripture. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It's a devastating verse of scripture. Christ has become of no effect. How is that possible? How is it possible that Christ had become no effect? Well, in their case specifically, they had returned to the law. And they had returned to the old way. And they had returned to pre-Calvary uh, acts of, of, of belief, if you will. And because of that, they were denying Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Because they were finding justification in the law. Oh, justification. Our flesh loves it. Don't it? Don't you love it when you can just justify bad behavior? You know, I never would have said that to them, but they shouldn't have been pushing my buttons. If they wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done what I did. It feels good to our flesh, but it denies Christ. Because Christ says, if they slap you on the cheek, turn the other. Amen? So there you go. That's how we can begin to deny Christ and justify. It's simple, that's basic, it's small. But it's how it begins with people. Amen. The gifts we are given 
are powerful, whether it be the gift of the Holy Ghost, Acts 2, or the gift of righteousness in Romans 5, or the gift of grace in Ephesians 2, or the gift of eternal life in Romans 6. No matter what it is, these things are Christ in us, and they are our hope of glory, but it's Christ in me that gives me a hope of glory. I have to have Christ in me to have that hope. Amen. I, I, would, I would say it like this. If you're losing hope in your ability to make heaven your home, amen, you don't need to learn more about heaven. You need to get closer to Christ. Oh, hallelujah. And I'm all for learning more about heaven. But if I'm losing hope in heaven, amen, I need to get closer to Christ because the closer I get to Jesus Christ, the more I'm going to be confident in my heavenly home. The closer I am to him, the more I'm going to know for sure that if that trumpet sounds or I die tonight, I'm going to be, hallelujah, with the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. He's our eternal life. Only, we only uh, have Christ, do we have, only with Christ do we have eternal life. Look at 1 John 5 and 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So if I put Jesus out of my life, then I put away eternal life as well. Hallelujah. Amen. If I'm not living for Christ, if I'm denying Christ by my life, I'm also putting away my heavenly hope. This is why this matters. Oh, hallelujah. We lose grace. We lose righteousness. We lose eternal life because all those things are in him. So when I deny him, I lose all of those other things. It's no wonder why people who, who, who live in, in this world today who may call themselves Christians and may go to church once in a while, it's not a wonder why they're struggling with the things that they're struggling. And it's not a wonder why there are churches and denominations and entire religious groups that are turning from things that are very clearly in the word of God. And they're turning away from things that are very clearly in the word and in the scripture. And by that, they are denying Christ. And they've been denying Christ for generations now and that's why when we hear things about I can't believe they're allowing that I can't believe they would teach that I can't believe that they would think that's even right it blows our mind but it doesn't seem weird to them at all how can that not seem weird to them because they've been denying Christ for a very long time and the more they denied Christ the more they denied his holiness and the more they denied righteousness and the more they denied purity Amen, and it's sad because it affects their lives here on earth, but it's more sad because they're also giving up their heavenly home. The biggest problem there with this doctrine of once saved, always saved, is that it's not biblical. That's always the biggest problem with anything that has a problem. If it's not biblical, that's the number one problem with it. Amen. The next problem is that it leads people to be loose and careless with their moral life. Justifying sin by believing that no matter what they do, they can't be lost. It's not biblical. 
but then its effect, the effect of someone no longer trying to live a biblical life. They will embrace the idea that they can do whatever they want. Any doctrine that leads us away from God and His holiness should be questioned. Amen. Now, I know we live in a society and a culture right now where the idea of questioning anything is like you're not allowed to question anything. I get that. But you understand this. In the church, somebody starts talking to you about faith and God and Scripture, and they present a doctrine to you that is leading you away from God. It's leading you away from purity. It's leading you away from holiness. It's leading you away from righteousness. Uh, Amen. Uh, You should be questioning it. Any doctrine that embraces sin and flesh and pushes away purity is dangerous. Amen. Pentecostals are not perfect. Well, we're far from perfect. But you know what? As long as we hold on to the idea that sin is still sin and righteousness is still righteousness and I still push away sin and I still feel guilt and I still feel the shame and the the conviction of it, that's a good thing. I don't mind God slapping me around once in a while. I don't want to give up heaven. I don't mind God putting me in my place once in a while. I don't want to give up heaven. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's said that Paul suffered for the, for the church. Colossians tells us in 124, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. What would be the point of Paul suffering for the church? If they were already saved and eternally secure. You ever ask these questions? What would Paul have to suffer for the church for? If the church was just saved by grace and everything was fine and there's nothing that could go wrong and they could never lose it, then what was he suffering for? Oh, hallelujah. Paul answers like this. He speaks to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Verse 7, so that ye can you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then look what it gets to in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Oh, hallelujah. They had all those things. They had all the same things that we had. They had a preacher come into their life. They had somebody, a testimony came into their life and they responded to that with faith and their faith led them to God and the grace of God saved them and they encountered the power of the Holy Ghost and they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. They rised up, raised up in the newness of life and they were operating in the gifts of God in their life. All of that was happening. 
He says, you've received it and you're standing in it. The things by which you have been saved. But if you have to, you have to keep in memory what I preached unto you. You can't walk away from what got you here. Oh, hallelujah. You can't walk away from the truth that got you here. Because if you do, then everything I said to you, Paul declares, will be in vain. Because you can fall away. Or you can walk away. They were saved as long as they did not believe in vain. Their belief had to be real. It had to show that it was real. It had to be a part of who they were. Amen? It had to be alive in them. My faith has to be alive in me. It has to be prevalent and powerful. It has to be ever-present. My faith has to be there. It can't just be something that happened at one time a long time ago. Amen. Has to be fresh, new, strong, on fire. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Why would anybody want anything different? Amen. Cold, boring Christianity, that, that, that doesn't even make sense. That sentence shouldn't even make sense to anybody. Cold, boring Christianity doesn't even make sense. We got a God that is alive. We got a God that is powerful. We got a God that is a consuming fire. Come on, even the Old Testament prophet understood. It's like fire shut up in my bones. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Colossians 1.23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Oh, man, I wish people would read that verse. I wish people would understand that my continuing in the faith is where I get my grounding. It's where I get my foothold. It's where I get my strength. Hey, man. Hey, man. Really, come on, people. I mean, understand something. I know we're living in crazy times, but apostolics have been talking about it, preaching about it, and singing about it for years. Hey, man. I'm on a solid rock. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but not me. I'm on Jesus Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. My, my rock is secure. Hey Amen. Is that still true in 2021 going into 2022? Do you still feel that way? Because everything is shaking and everything's going to keep shaking. And I've come to tell you it's just going to shake harder next year than it did this year. But you don't have to live your life every day with your world shaking all over the place. If you got a rock that is Christ Jesus, I'm settled. It's settled. Grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, still in 123 of Colossians, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Oh, hallelujah. Be not moved away from that which you are settled on. Amen. Amen. Don't move away from things you've already settled. 
Don't let this world move you away from things that have been settled in your mind for a long time. You've already settled holiness in your heart. That's settled. It's settled. You don't, the world, the world can yell and scream all they want. The world can do whatever they want to do, but there's some things I've already settled in my life. Uh, it's settled. It's solid. It's secure. You're not going to move me away from this one God message. Uh, it's settled in my mind. My coworker can talk about the Trinity all they want, but when I start talking, I'm going to talk about Jesus, uh, the one God uh, of heaven and earth. Why? Because because it's settled in my heart. Can I tell you a little secret about working with people at work and on the streets and everywhere else? They are not settled. If they're talking old rock Tedditarian doctrine, it's not settled because there is no foundation. There is no rock that is Christ Jesus underneath what they're talking about. They're the ones that are bouncing around. You're the one that's settled. So go ahead and let them talk a little bit. But when you start talking, you talk with boldness and you talk with authority and you talk under the anointing of the power of an almighty God. Why do you have that? Because it's settled. Only people who have it settled can speak on it in a way that is impacting so what I'm saying to you is if it's not settled in your spirit yet, don't go talking to somebody about Jesus. Go talking to Jesus about getting it settled. And when you get it settled, then you can go talking to anybody you want about Jesus. Don't come talking to me if you're not settled. Don't recommend some restaurant to me and then I'm like, oh, was it really good? Nah, I'm just... How many times have you been there? Well, I went once. Was it good? It was all right. What are you telling me about it for then? Are you a part owner or something? You have stock in this restaurant? Why are you trying to get me to go someplace? You're not even convinced. <laughs> Amen. Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house are we? We are his house. If I'm his house, if I hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm till when? Until the end. Amen. I mean, I'll just, I'll just say it. I'll just say it, and they can record it, and it'll be forever written down somewhere on your recording. If I don't stay with God... To the end, I'm not going to make it to heaven. No matter what I've done up to this point. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. It's absolutely fair. Because everything I've done up to this point, I only did because of him. I have no standing I have no room to be proud in what I've accomplished in my life up to this point. Without Christ, I would have never accomplished any of it. I'm only able to do what I do because of him. I only am who I am because of him. So if I walk away from him and I deny him, I don't get to go to heaven. Oh, hallelujah. Hope. 
rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Believers are even encouraged to help one another in our salvation. I'm, I'm getting close to done here. We're encouraged to help one another in our salvation. Hebrews 3, 13, 14. This is where we can help. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Oh, hallelujah. You started out great. Grace made a way where there didn't seem to be a way. Grace took something that was broken and bruised and made it whole again. Grace restored that marriage. Grace restored your mind. Grace got you back on a right track and put you in a place that you never thought was possible for you anymore. Grace did all of that. It was awesome. It started out wonderful. Grace made a way, but the deceitfulness of sin can cause me to fall from grace. The deceitfulness it's manipulative. Oh, hallelujah. It's manipulative. That's why we have to know the word. More and more and more people coming up to me. What do you think of this, Pastor? What do you think of this, Pastor? What, do you, well, what does the word say? What does the word say? Read, read it. Take it. Study it in the Bible. What does the Bible tell you about that? Amen. Because the deceitfulness of sin. The devil's really good at lying. He's really good at it. And I don't want to fall from grace because I'm deceived by sin. And I cannot be deceived by sin if I keep going back to the book. That's the light. That's the life. Oh, hallelujah. That's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and now is in me. Oh, hallelujah, my hope of glory, it's in me. Exhort one another daily, it says. It means That means to call near. It means to pray for. It means to encourage. That's what the church is supposed to be doing with one another. That's what we're supposed to be doing with others in the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing people we're trying to get into the church. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. One way to accomplish this is found in another thing that we should encourage others in. You know this, Hebrews 10, 23, 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more. Oh, Hallelujah exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now you say, well, preacher, does that mean that when, we know, when we're in the last days, we should go to church every day of the week? No, because exhorting one another means to call near, to pray for, and to encourage. Amen? So he's saying you need to be doing that more. 
You need to be calling people near, pulling them close to you more. You need to be praying for people more openly and privately. You need to be encouraging people more. I know that happens in the house of God on Sundays and Thursdays, but that's not the only time that the church is calling people near. You should be pulling people close on the job and pulling people close in your neighborhood, pulling people. You say, well, that guy, that's the world. That's the sinful world. That's the sinful world because they haven't been saved by grace yet, but you need to show them how they can be saved by grace but you also got to show them how that grace is a teacher and it leads me in my salvation and it gives me the ability to hold on to my faith oh hallelujah amen so you got to connect with people we got to connect with one another amen we got to connect with one another. We got to connect with people outside the four walls of this building. We got to connect with people and pull them close. Amen. And we're not afraid to do that. We're not afraid to do that because of what we have Christ in us. When I have Christ in me and I've got things settled, I can pull people close. And love on them and help them and teach them and disciple them. I can do that and I'm not negatively affected. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I say it like this. If you're worried, if you think, well, I would love to, I would love to help that person, but they're dealing with this issue in their life, and I just feel like if I get around that issue, I'm not going to be able to handle it. If you're telling yourself that, then yes, don't get close to that person. Get close to God and settle that issue in your heart. Get close to God and settle that issue so that you can go to that person uh, and you can be close to that person and love on that person and pray for that person and encourage that person. Uh, and that issue they're dealing with is not going to get you unsettled. Oh, hallelujah. We have to know the word. We have to know the Lord. There's power. Knowledge is powerful. Boldness. We want boldness to talk to other people. Right? We get knowledge of the word. We get closer to God when we get closer to the word. And he gives us boldness. And so we can just speak. Yes. We can just speak it. Romans 11 and I'm done. It calls the Gentiles. It calls them a wild olive tree. It talks about the natural branches of the tree that were cut off. Speaking of the Israelite people. And it says that the Gentiles were grafted in, Romans eleven twenty one through 24. For if God, if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Amen. I thought it was once saved, always saved. I thought once I encountered God and said the prayer and did the thing. Look, I'm not, I'm not against any of the first steps that exist. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to say that people shouldn't take steps. Any step towards Jesus is good. I just have a problem with the fact that they've just given up on all the rest of the steps. <laughs> Amen. Go ahead and order a desk online that you have to put together in your home. Pull out all the pieces and get the instructions out and just do the first step. And then step back and see if your desk is put together. <laughs> yeah. 
Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to get a lot of work done on that. The first step is generally just arranging all of the nuts and bolts and screws. The first step is usually just make sure that we didn't forget to ship you the most valuable piece that you're going to need for this all to work together. <laughs> I don't have a problem with their first steps of faith. I have a problem with it being the only step of faith that they want to talk about. Spared not the natural branches. He didn't spare the natural branches, even though they were the natural branches. They were the Israelites, and he's speaking to the Gentiles. He says, Unless, and be careful, take heed, lest ye also spare not, he spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. Oh, man. And the severity of God is something we need to be reconnected to. I don't want to be reconnected to it, though, by it happening to me. You know how you cannot be reconnected to the severity of God by it happening to you? You can choose to get reconnected to the severity of God by reading about it and studying about it and, and acknowledging it. Amen. Everything that we learn doesn't have to be learned the hard way. You don't have to learn everything the hard way. I've been screaming that for years. You know what I'm saying? If you're new in the church, if you're new, I don't know who's new. I don't know who's new around here. But if you are new in the church, get connected to some apostolic that's been around for a while and just let them talk to you and let them tell you what they learned. Let them tell you their testimony, but then let them tell you what came next and let them tell you what came after that and let them tell you what they learned after they'd been in church for five years and let them tell you what they learned last Sunday. You say, why do I need to know all of that? I'm just at the beginning because you don't want to have to learn everything the hard way if there's somebody that can help you, that can direct you, that can teach you, can encourage you, that can pull you close. The goodness and the severity of God on them which fell severely, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. If you continue with him, if you're not, you're going to be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. Here's the beauty of God's grace. Here's the beauty. He says, behold, the goodness and the severity of God. They wouldn't continue with him, and so they were cut off. And you were brought in. But if you don't continue with God, you'll be cut off. But he says, if they return to continue with him, they will be brought back in. Oh, hallelujah. That's the beauty of the grace of God. The beauty of the grace of God is not you just acknowledge him one time, then you can live your life in sin and pain and horrible decisions and shame and guilt the rest of your life. The beauty of the grace of God is I, I can come to God and I can be saved. And if I get tripped up, make a mistake, fall, and I come back to him, his grace will bring me back again. So I don't have to live with that nonsense and I don't have to walk with that brokenness but my mind can be right and my heart can be right and my family can be right. I might have started out with them and got a little messed up along the way but when I came back to the Father, his arms were wide open. This is the grace of God. The grace of God says you can repent and I'll forgive you of your sins. The grace of God says I know you messed up your mind but I can restore your mind again. I know you threw away your purpose but I can put you back on the pathway of purpose again. Oh, hallelujah. If they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. 
For if thou wert cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? God's not looking to just cut people off and then watch them wallow in their pain. No. But the grace of God is not to tell them that they're fine even though they know they're broken. The grace of God is not to tell them everything's all right, even though when they look in the mirror, they know everything's falling apart. The grace of God is to say, if you'll come back to me, I can make it right again. If you'll come back to me, I can restore it again. Stand with me if you would, please. All of us can fall from grace. Hear me, apostolics, all of us from falling from grace. We are not exempt. Though we've been baptized in his name and filled with the spirit, we are not exempt from falling from grace. But we understand the grace of God. And because we understand the grace of God, I know I can be grafted in again. I can become one grafted, you know, to be connected. To be connected. It's connected. It has to be helped at first. It has to be taped together. It has to be held together for a little while. At first, it has to be helped. But the beauty of grafting is that eventually you can take the tape off, and it's like it's just all one now. It's all connected back the way it should be. He doesn't want to. The grace of God is not to just find you broken and wrap you up with a bunch of Band-Aids and say, well, just live with it. The grace of God is to find you broken and wrap you up and help you and put everything back in place and help you hold you in that place until you get to the place where you're like, okay, I'm settled now. I'm settled now. I'm back in. I'm connected. I'm strong. I can handle it. Oh, hallelujah. Would you lift your hands and just thank the Lord for it right now?